Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Force Center Podcast Feed. I'm Ken Napsok. And I'm Joseph Scrimshaw, and this is one of our News and Cues episode. And uh, we don't ha- just have News and Cues, we also have Mando BTS, which doesn't quite rhyme, but it's still fun to say. 
It's not as catchy, but it definitely is uh, interesting. We're going to discuss that. Uh, we are going to look at the High Republic event that happened just the morning of this recording. Almost breaking news, but not a lot to get to. Plus, your questions, as Joseph said. Before we do that, we'll remind you today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash four center. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. How do you listen to your music and how do you listen to your books a little bit later we'll have our four center recommends an audiobook we think you should try out on us but that is not all joseph <laughs> no it's not we're also selling knives nope nope that's a lie uh, <laughs> we have fun with the broadcasting rhythms but we have a sincere offer that we actually do uh really like or really excited about inside editions uh they are a publisher of a ton of great star wars books secrets of the jedi one of my personal favorites the lightsaber collection that ken and i did a big review on that one is great there's a galaxy's edge cookbook all sorts of great star wars books from insight editions they are offering 35 percent off across their website with a special force center code. This excludes collectibles, limited edition products, and already discounted products, but there are, of course, a bunch of great Star Wars books that you can get. This offer lasts until Friday, January 8th at midnight Pacific time, so soon, soon. To get your discount, enter the coupon code FC35 or visit the website with this specific link. You can go to insideditions.com slash discount slash FC35. Again, that's InsightEditions.com slash discount slash FC35. Just a quick visit and then some good Star Wars book fun in your life. Absolutely. You need that. You know, the holidays are over, so now you need to start buying yourself gifts again. We're <laughs> center. Uh, we love presenting you all with uh, those opportunities. It's things we believe in, things we read ourselves. And you're all part of the Four Center family. And Four Center family, this is interesting. I, I just realized that uh, Joseph, uh, this will be it's our 282nd, um, 200 yeah, 282nd main show. Uh, we're approaching a thousand overall broadcasts, but also this will be well, technically the start of our seventh season. Oh, of Four wow, yeah. really? Yeah, we, you know, 2015 you launch, so the way seasons are listed, uh, and it, it can get a little weird, too, uh, when you start listing seasons and episodes uh, and on Apple Podcasts. Some of you are aware, like, they dropped. I, I try to have to kind of rearrange them. But this will be what I will, will list as our seventh season of Force Center. I'm so sorry. You've been stuck with me this long. <laughs> I'm happy to be stuck with you. I don't like the forward movement of time. That's a little bit of uh, BS, but I'm happy to be talking about Star Wars with you. Yeah, so Joseph, Jennifer, and I are very happy that you're all here. And also, you know, it was great to have Jennifer's voice on the show last week with uh, her, her checking in with her, her thoughts on, on the Disney Investor Day and Mandalorian. And, and so many of you were so excited just to hear her again. And we were as well. And uh, Jennifer, in, in the seventh season, will be in and out uh, when she can. And uh, we're looking forward to that as well. Uh, we always like to catch up with ourselves because we are, uh, you know, this is one of the longest working and, 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 and personal relationships I've ever had. <laughs> uh, and uh, Joseph and I love to catch up and, uh, you know, Star Wars adventures, life adventures, another busy week, New Year's, New. we both had New Year's shows, a lot going on. How are you, sir? And what went down? Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm doing good. I am feeling uh actually refreshed. You know, there's the always that weird new year thing of, you know, it is on one hand just a meaningless changing of days. It's just a, a you put up a new calendar, but uh things have meaning when we uh, as individuals and as cultures agree to give them meaning. And I love New Year's because I think that New Year's uh <laughs> fits my worldview because New Year's is, is always this time, particularly lately when it's been um 
when the world has been really difficult for lots of people, where as a culture, we come together and very honestly go, that sucked. <laughs> Here's yeah. a list of bad things. So we're being really, really honest about bad things, but then facing it with a sense of like humor and celebration and renewal. It, and I think that's really why, like when I was younger, I was like, I like New Year's Eve because that's the, that's the holiday where everybody wants to go to a show and have a drink. And I still like it for that reason. But I think that that kind of deeper philosophy of, of what New Year's actually is to us culturally means a lot to me. And this year, I think I, I really needed that, uh, that, yep, let's really face the horrors <laughs> and be honest about them. But then also say, let's have fun. Let's join with friends over the internet uh, or, or safely. And then kind of put our best foot forward. So I, I had a great time doing the online New Year's Eve show, done New Year's shows for years and years and years. Uh, and my friend Laser, who I do the, the game night show with, they kindly reached out to me and was like, you should really do a New Year's show. You've been doing them forever. We'll we'll do one together. And, and I did. And it was great. And we did a lot of the kind of normal traditions of things we do at our normal show. And somebody in the YouTube comments who was watching the show was like, they're they're just doing the whole show, but online. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's not, we're not just kind of hanging out online. We're doing the whole damn show. So uh, that was a, a ton of fun. And then had some nice, uh, just kind of getting back into the groove with Sarah days after that. Um, only real Star Wars adventure being, well, a couple Star Wars adventures, but my favorite was, uh, so I get, I get chilly very easily and, and, I, and then I complain about it. And Sarah was like, you know, you have that nice red and black flannel shirt that you bought from the 2019 Star Wars Celebration store, the George Lucas Darth Maul flannel. Why don't you wear that? And I, I, I haven't worn flannel in a long time, but I wore that George Lucas Darth Maul flannel shirt all weekend and it was great. <laughs> Man, I hope you took some great photos just uh- <laughs> randomly walk in the, in the background of documentaries. <laughs> it's an old clip. I don't, I, I, it's one of those things that have popped up. If you just discovered it, that's great. It's hilarious, but that's been around for a few years and I'm so glad that got some life, but anyways. It's so funny because it, it looks like he's walking right at the camera that he, like he has something to say to it. And then he's like, no, nope, I'm going to turn away. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, uh, it sounds like you had, uh, sounds like you had a good relaxing time. And I, you know, not to turn this into a uh, new year's center. Um, I I'm with you. I, I, I love always love New Year's. I'm one of those folks that uh, looks back a lot. You know, that's probably why I'm depressed more than anxious. Uh, depression, you kind of, you know, you're locked a little bit in your past to not to get too deep in something I battled with. But I think I think it, that factors into how I look at New Year's. I'm always like, wow, how will 18, 1989 be remembered? Uh, and this was before, uh, you know, documentaries every week would come out on Netflix of the 80s and everything. But this was the first year I literally... And I, I can get, I can go down that path of look. It's not the year; it's you. Uh, take it forward, and blah, blah, blah. it's not the calendar. It's not the sloth calendar. Uh, <laughs> which I'm so glad that's tr- continuing in your house there. Um, but I, at one point on uh, Friday, I actually just kind of went, "Oh wow, we made it!" And I just had didn't, I didn't even have to have, to have re- expect that reaction in me towards this year <laughs> and that number. Yeah. Do you, do you spend a lot of time reflecting on your actual year? Like I know a lot of people on social media um, make their lists of what they did do and, and didn't do. Mm-hmm. I always end up running out of time because I'm always running behind on the New Year's Eve show. So I don't have time to post. Here's what I did. Here's what I didn't do. But but do you yeah. go through that personal catalog for yourself? I 
yes. And I, 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 this, this year was obviously way different for, for many obvious reasons. And it, and it also just was a whir and a blur because it all, it all looked the same from the same room, right? <laughs> 2020, I'll remember my living room. Um, but yeah, I, I, it, it's just part of my, my brain, I guess. It's why I love documentaries that look back at, at little moments. It's why I think I love baseball cards and look on the back and just love a collection of baseball stats that show here's what you did in these years. And, those <laughs> kind of things. and so I'll, I'll be like, how will I remember 2018? It was the year I did this or this happened. And, this, and, and, and it kind of becomes like a, my own living history document. And I can get a little lost in that. Um, but yeah, but th- this year, again, a little different, but definitely look back and, and, uh, what we uh what uh, all of us uh, got through <laughs> yeah accomplished sometimes there were some accomplishments but a lot of got through <laughs> and i think that is an accomplishment to get through things sometimes uh, so any any star wars adventures to your general new year's life adventures uh you know uh not in terms of watching much uh we uh we did some uh new year's follow-up from christmas uh, lord of the Rings stuff uh, Grace and I finished our Game of Thrones complete rewatch. Ooh. We finished season eight this weekend. Uh, don't even, you know, I love the season. Other people don't. We'll just leave it on that. And I had a little good time uh, enjoying the big dinner of Thai food and watching the final two episodes last night. But I'll tell you, I, 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 I hesitated to mention this. Um, I won't I won't be too long. I want to start by this saying this is not, I, I, I'm proud of a lot of things I've written. And like most writers, I'm also not proud of most of the things I've written. So this is not a... Um, I, I did a good thing. I was cleaning out my Google Drive. You know, that's what you do on the New Year's Day. Let me clean up my Google Drive. <laughs> and I found a document from 2010. I mentioned it in other places, perhaps on this show before. Uh, a document called Rise of the Rebellion, which was the beginning of my treatment for Star Wars spec script. Uh, <laughs> I did that in Ted. And, and my friends who I mentioned at the time were like, that's stupid. They're never going to make another Star Wars movie. And I go, well, that's not the point. The point is, let me just see if I can write this and maybe that will get the attention you need elsewhere. Sometimes it's a way to approach specs, blah, blah, blah. Joseph and I will talk about writing center some other time. Um, <laughs> and number one, I'll say this, it's horrible. Um, <laughs> but but it starts, I, I could show you, it's timestamped. It starts with a Vader hallway scene hacking rebels so i've always been proud that at least i was connected to that and then it inter, inter, intertwines an obi-wan in the desert story so again not surprising of course that's what you're gonna do uh but i was just having i had a lot of fun reading it because again that was 10 years ago i sat down to write that and to look where we are now I'd be like well back then i know there was in my mind there was no thought that i would see Obi-Wan in the desert officially in a, in a star wars capacity or more stories of the formation of the rebellion all those kind of things and uh, again, script and the treatment, horrible. I didn't get to the script phase. Horrible. I'm not saying I'm good at all. <laughs> the story was, would not be a good Star Wars story. Um, but I just was like, what a weird, fun way to just reflect on where we are now as Star Wars fans and a reminder of what a great time to be a Star Wars fan and how that still is going. So it was an interesting journey. Yeah, no, that is, that's really cool. And I think it's great to find those moments that uh, allow you to step back and just be grateful for just more Star Wars. <laughs> Yeah, period, and, and hopefully that my uh, writing skills have improved. Now there was, you know, you know, Gus, it's early phases, um, but yeah, it was interesting. So, anyways, that was my that was my Star Wars adventure. That's a great one. You found a Star Wars adventure past to share, which is a perfect thing <laughs> for our New Year's uh, episode of Four Center. Oh, it's embarrassing. Um, anyways, anyways, you know what's not embarrassing? The Star Wars they're making now and the Mandalorian season two. Wow. There's a lot of people with opinions on that. And thank you to a lot of people who listened to the discussion last week, the deep dive of Luke and the Mandalorian. 
I finally, I got out of rhythm and I finally remembered to, to put it, upload the audio version on YouTube and, and that quickly garnered some listens as well. So we appreciate you uh, all following us down our, uh, our deep dives and sometimes just our open forum philosophical discussions of uh, Jedi in the moment. Um, <laughs> and that speaks again to the success of the show and uh, without a doubt the show's successful. So the Disney Gallery, you'd imagine that would be successful as well and something fun to watch. And it was. Uh, we're going to take a quick look. Joseph, overall reaction to just this uh, one special. Yeah, I, 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 it was great to see just this one compact thing. I really enjoyed the uh, first season where you and I did long episodes about each mm-hmm. each episode because it was the long sit down discussions. But this was uh, this is a little bit uh, more kind of Star Wars like it had its uh, foot on the gas. But there were some like big ideas that popped out to me, and I think I I really enjoyed the amount of different people who uh, talked about this emphasis on the new and the old. Um, that uh, that was uh, something that Pedro Pascal said of like I'm really I really want to keep a focus on the story and new characters and new ideas while still having a lot of respect for what has come before and all the parts of Star Wars that people are nostalgic for and I think there's all these little beats between uh, John Favreau and and Dave Filoni and again you know I know it's a curated documentary so they're showing us what they want to see but there's there's almost this playful dance of the new and the old between them where mm-hmm. they showed so many little scenes where John's like, what if we do this? What if we do this? And he's almost poking Dave. And Dave going, no, you can't do that. <laughs> I know it's not as simple or as limited as that, but it was just a, because obviously they're both exploring new and old things all the time in their work on the show. Uh, but it was another way where that that dance of like, this is what is one of the many things that's exciting about Star Wars is finding that balance between, mm-hmm. you know, the new and the old. And somebody else described it as, uh, you know, taking a lot of the ingredients and just remixing them into an entirely new dish. Uh, so I like that theme. I really just like the general uh, a presentation of fun and play that yeah. I'm sure there were some cranky moments. <laughs> I'm sure there's some difficult moments, but they showed so many moments of people from all the different departments, uh, different people who got brought in like the the graffiti artist um just so many scenes of people having fun and playing and being in a place of joy it looked like a very joyful set to be on yeah no absolutely that's that's uh, important to me and it's just to you know again there's horrible set stories all around the world and and it's going to be the case but just see that the love that everyone brought to this Again, and and those who joined, the love they brought to it, and from all levels up and down, and, and it's part of the reason I think we love some of these docs, seeing some of the the people that don't get the light shine on them, uh, who who do amazing things and the designs uh, that make the the universe just robust and vibrant and alive, and, and that's always the, the fun of this. What you know, yes, last year eight episodes, we did the breakdown of it. We had a lot of fun doing it. There was a lot of depth to be found in those discussions. Uh, this year, they probably couldn't do it as much some COVID restrictions on uh, them all in a room <laughs> around a table um, budget and, or just also, Hey, we don't want to put the energy and time into eight episodes. Here's a special. <laughs> uh, I, I can get behind all of that. Uh, what did you think about that structure and the choice they went through kind of uh, the chronological experience of the directors per you know episode and just kind of, you know, for me, I'll say that made it kind of simple to follow if you're just kind of like, oh, let me sit down and watch this. But what do you think about that structure? Yeah, I really liked it, especially for this one uh one shot right last season when it was they broke it up into different ideas that was really fun of here's the tech here's the child here are the directors all those different things uh 
we got to see in this structure little moments with the uh, fight choreographers and costume designers and set design and we got to see all those uh you know all, all those great people and all those great trades but i think this was good uh, particularly for people who are just like hey i watched the mandalorian and it's the you know sunday and i'm going to put on something people who aren't obsessively watching for who was the director <laughs> every episode to kind of give them a little sense of the different creative voices but i think the the big thing i liked about it is it did give this great overall picture of the process um mm-hmm. Very early on, you know, Brendan Wayan had that uh, great observation about Favreau of mm. it's it's the actors' jobs to be to nail their their moment, and the director should ab- absolutely nail a moment, but the director also has to kind of have this big picture vision at all times of how do all these moments add up, and mm. in a way, that's what this structure showed me. Of I, I like starting with Favreau in that interview of him uh, saying. It was fun for me to direct, but I kind of just like being able to hang in the background and help people if they need it and if they want it and kind of keep the whole thing on the rail. But other than that, hey, all you directors, go crazy. Bring your personality, bring your perspective, bring your sense of play and your emphasis in Star Wars and the kind of genre influences of this episode. So I think being able to just walk, walk through it with Favreau clearly being like the, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the, the guy who's watching over everything ultimately. But then we get to see each director have this different flavor and this different experience. Uh, it was really insightful to me for the overall project. Yeah, the tone was really set in season one of each individual director bringing so much flavor to to their episodes. And we loved that. I, in the gallery, that was some of the, our favorite stuff uh, looking back at last year's discussion. So I, I think it just made sense to kind of anchor it around what you're just describing. Favreau at the top and the flow chart on down and the directors in their individual moments. And that's some of my favorite moments that we're going to discuss here are from the directors where you get to see their light shine. And uh, that's why I think I really did like the, the structure. Uh, you mentioned insightful moments. Did you have some favorites? Oh, yeah. I mean, some of them are, uh, you know, I'll just be honest. Sometimes it's just fun for me when I hear one of the directors share an observation about Star Wars that I strongly agree with. So <laughs> it's insightful in that I'm so glad that they see that part of Star Wars that way because so do I. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, I really liked um, Peyton Reed uh, talking about how much in the script of the second chapter of, of this season, um, chapter mm-hmm. 10, Passenger, that it was, a, it was about pulp, right? That it was a frog lady and a masked man and a little green creature and they crash on an ice planet and then they get chased by ice spiders until the frog lady has to go full frog, you know? Uh, and just that emphasis on pulp because that is, uh, I think, sometimes that influence, the importance of that influence on the adventure serial and pulp uh, doesn't get discussed as much or can be kind of lost and I think it's a really important part of the DNA of Star Wars. We're going to talk about it more on, on next uh, this week's Deep Dive. So that was really fun for me to hear. So that was one of the insightful moments. Uh, I got a few more, but I want to hear yours too. Uh, what's funny, I, I one of my favorite moments was Peyton Reed saying, you know, this episode is is a, is a man in a mask, a, a, a frog lady, a puppet, and, and a puppet. And uh, I'm obviously fully aware of that. I watched that episode and consider it one of my favorites of the series. But I, just to hear it highlighted, it's like, wow, yeah. And they got so much from that. That's it's it's good to pause and focus on that. Uh, and I, I'm glad you put that one there. I enjoyed 
every second, and I talked about it a little bit, uh, I think last week too, but every second of Robert Rodriguez. And it gave me confidence about the, his involvement in the series going forward. And when you hear somebody, obviously we've t- talked about it here. You know, I've grown up, I, you know, I like Boba Fett's costume. I'm not a huge Boba Fett fan. I, I could wear that on a t-shirt. I, I've said it so much. To see someone else's passion for that character and for him to step in and bring it to, to that episode. And, and it just made me appreciate what they did more um, and made me want to go back and analyze it more and see if I love the episode in, in a different way. If I can pull more things out of it. Uh, it wasn't initially one of my favorite episodes, but I just was kind of like, all right, he, he, he came to play on that, but also brought a lifetime of, of joy and personal understanding for that character, what the character could be. And that, and plus play guitar with, Grogu, I mean, come on. So I, I, I just, I, I really liked that. Uh, it was something to I enjoyed seeing highlighted. Yeah, that might be my favorite part of this documentary. A lot of great moments, a lot of great people uh, got to shine, but seeing Robert Rodriguez have that level of passion for Boba Fett, and I think being able to really articulate uh, that connection that people of that generation have with Boba Fett of. He it's it's partially that he looked really cool, but you know everything he said he he's the opposite of Han Solo. He's Han Solo's rival. How cool is that? Mm. He was a he was a mystery before the movie. We saw him in a cartoon. We ordered his action figure. We had to send away for his action figure before the movie. He we knew he was coming, and then even though he mostly just stood around, he was still the coolest thing ever. And what was cool about it in that era was the imagination of what he could be. So to hear Rodriguez not only articulate that, but have such genuine personal passion for it to make that pre-visualization with his kids in his action figures. And, and I loved what he said about, I don't care whether I didn't care whether there was going to be more Boba Fett storytelling or not. This mm-hmm. one scene had to deliver on these decades of wondering what, what does Boba Fett truly look like when he is utterly unchained? And the fact that he he specifically said, yeah, I'll do this episode and I need to make sure Boba Fett does not just look like just another Mandalorian or just another good fighter. He has to be special. He has to be beyond. Uh, that was not only thrilling for me as a as a fan of Boba Fett and from somebody of a, a similar generation, uh, mm-hmm. but also to me, it was just like a big uh, pin in the balloon of criticism of cynical criticism of Star Wars of like, Boba Fett sells t-shirts so they brought back Boba Fett. Like, how can you look at what Robert Rodriguez said and think that the, it, it isn't anything but the passion of the creator? Mm-hmm. It's like when I don't shut up about 7-Eleven and you drive by one, you think, what am I missing in there? You want to go turn in. <laughs> no, I, I, I think you're right. Uh, and, and, and how it just, uh, and even again, I, I, that episode initially didn't hit me as well as, uh, as other, it did for others, but, but now I go, you know, I want to go back and really see what he put in there. And, uh, you know, you know, and just his excitement for it just got me more excited. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and to see that even with with his sort of uh, passion for this is the way it should be. I've already visualized it to make sure it's special. Uh, then to see, you know, Tamora Morrison being incredibly charming, but also see that great flexibility, uh, that great mix of confidence from somebody like Rodriguez of I know what I want. But now here's this actor bringing in other ideas. So I'm like, yeah, let's let's play with that, too. That great mix of being uh, confident, but still open to discovery. Yeah. And in the same vein, one of my favorite moments was 
a little moment with Filoni talking about Ahsoka, and and they obviously spent a, a ample amount of time on that uh, episode as they should. But to, just to say, it, it's was reassuring, and it, I I never I never doubted that that he you know that this was not you know wasn't in his mind. But the idea of just like I don't want to just bring back a character; I want it to have great purpose. I'm paraphrasing, but. Uh, and I, I think the Ahsoka episode, it's very clear that that was the case. But I love that little insight to him going like, all right, you know, we need to learn Grogu's name. We need to have someone who would know that, would be connected. And Ahsoka works in that regard. And it's similar to you and I talking about Luke last week and like, hey, say what you will. That's still the right choice for the time period and what's going on in the galaxy. And that makes sense. I don't feel he was shoehorned in in that way. And, and I didn't feel that with Ahsoka, but I feel even more you know, more, more uh, comfortable with their decision uh, and Dave's decision to do it. I like that little moment. Yeah, absolutely. I think there was a lot that did highlight how much they're not just going to bring a character in because they want to, or it would make a good t-shirt. It has to fit uh, the narrative and it has to fit uh, Din's journey. And I, I think they yeah. illustrated that well. Um, uh, one other moment for me, uh, Hal Hickel, we were both extremely charmed by in that first season uh, I really like this specific point he made when he was also discussing uh, chapter 10 and kind of some of the ice spider choices and, and frog lady choices uh, where he was talking about that he thinks it's important in Star Wars that there are moments of humor or just strange quirkiness during action scenes. And that's one of the things that keeps Star Wars different that in general action scenes aren't just grim, what a badass, but they always have that moment of... Uh, of humor or quirkiness to leaven them. I thought that was a great insight and something that I, I'm, I agree with pretty passionately that star Wars is, is a little bit odd. It is a little bit weird and you should be reminded of that even when the most badass thing is happening. Yep. Full thumbs up for me on that. And, <laughs> and uh, I like it just being highlighted and also it's, it's just a casual reminder uh, for a lot of what's uh, goes on in star Wars there. Uh, any other insights or do you have some fun and weird moments too that you want to talk about? Cause there were, were a lot in the series. Oh yeah. No, let's, uh, let's talk uh fun and weird moments. Uh, I, I liked seeing the, uh, first AD Kim Richards again. She also was yeah. a, a highlight for me in, in season one. <laughs> and I, I love just, uh, seeing her in action, doing her job, you know, basically giving direction to the extras of what they're reacting to. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> the way she phrases, like, I don't know if you know star Wars, <laughs> but some green, Pig guys are going to be in here fighting to the death. <laughs> yes. I love that you highlighted that because it's one of those things where you just can't comprehend that anyone on that set wouldn't know, but then someone might not. And so you're hearing what they're pig, pigs and they're fighting. All right. And they're green. <laughs> it, it really does make you step back too from like, you know, right after season one, when season two was announced, like all things Mandalorian on John Favreau's Instagram, right? And he just, he posted the little maquette, the little statue, of the Gamorrean guard. And you can go to like, oh, right, canon and the, the history of the Gamorreans and Return of the Jedi. And he, he gets Star Wars, blah, blah, blah. And again, this is something that's just like, hey, remember, they're green pig guys. <laughs> that's And that's part of what Star Wars is. That's part of what's fun about it is we can take it deadly serious as you and I often do. But also at the same time, they're never not going to be green pig guys. That's what they are. Yeah. And and I love the, you know, we we knew that hey, these ones are fighting ones. The one in, in Bibb's uh, castle, they're 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 there's they must be fighting ones as well. And our pal Tony Thaxton, who does our theme music, had a great tweet I saw about something uh, I paraphrased, but he just said, like, 
we're we're not going to talk about how weird those Gamorrean guards look like in Pope in Bib Fortuna's palace there. Um, <laughs> Uh, and I, the, the, yes, they're they've done some push-ups. The ones at Jabba's Palace back in the day, uh, you know, kind of like the the coppers, fifteen years on the job who don't hit the gym anymore. That's that's <laughs> the Gamorrean Gardens there. I like that. Great moment. Yeah, so that was one uh, one for me. Uh, an- another fun moment for me was uh, that throwback to season one of Filoni and Favreau discussing the fan speculation on season one Boba Fett. Uh, and how loud the uh, the boots should be, and what fans are going to think, and you know, there's a lot of little moments in this that that remind you that Filoni is a, a fan and does uh, feel like he has the finger his finger on the pulse. Of, honestly, the kind of discussions that you know we have in this you know Star Wars discussion community about oh they're going to think it's Boba Fett, but then they're going to guess not because blah 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 blah. That was really yeah. fun. Yeah, one of those moments where where we all feel seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and just an awareness of. Yeah. speculation is a part of what makes this all go around. Yeah. Uh, one of uh, my favorite moments of, to piggyback off that was the, the, the McClunky moment that everyone's talking about. And you referenced it a bit up top indirectly, but just to watch it again, because it, it was, this is, I think I, this is the only second time I'd seen saw the scene, but just like Favreau, number one, funny guy, talented guy. Uh, I'm a fan of him. Uh, it's always sometimes seems like I'm, I'm teasing him, but it's, I, I've, I've got friends like that who aren't really funny. Or just like, hey, what, what, what if we did this? And you're like, yeah, no, no. That and, and, and for Filoni to be like, well, Greedo, Greedo says it. Uh, yeah, no, but wouldn't it be great if, if, if Mando says, boom, McClunky. Like I, I, there was just something more playing that their relationship is fascinating. And that moment was as great as advertised. Yes. Yeah. To uh, possibly overanalyze it. It almost seems like sometimes Favreau is maybe, maybe actually, is in favor of the idea that he is pushing or is maybe just like pushing Filoni to actually see uh, what, yeah. what the real response will be. What, what's the real answer of why that doesn't work in, mm-hmm. in Filoni's mind? Why, why is that? Why is it okay for Greedo to say McClunky? We all love it. And it's funny, but it would be horrific if Mando said it. Why is that? You know, and it almost seems like he, there, there's definitely like this uh, fun sibling banter uh, side of it, but it also seems like there is this, like, is this the best way to, for, is this how Favreau understands? I think so. Yeah. And, and you know, we, you and I did a, a, a deep dive into their Empire Strikes Back ref, deep cut reference moment <laughs> last season. And you're, you said it up top. This is a, a documentary that was made. <laughs> they chose what they put into it. It wasn't us just watching on a live stream camera. So who knows the moments they don't put in there, obviously. And I don't, I'm not suggesting there was bad blood or anything. I just, uh, it just was an insight. It's really an insight into how they work. And I think you're right. I think it's a, it's a fun poking, poking the bear both ways. Yeah. Yeah. It's a mutual bear poking. And yeah. yeah and I think they're, I think I enjoy it because I think I can see, uh, the final results on screen that they do, uh, there is definitely a, an effort to find the new and remix the ingredients and try things and test the boundaries of Star Wars. But there's also clearly a deep respect for kind mm-hmm. of core ideas of Star Wars. So it's fun since I really, really like the final product and think it balances new and old really well. It, it's fun to see the, the, you know, back in the, back in the kitchen. How did they make that sausage? <laughs> Mm, I do love sausage. Uh, any other moments that you thought were uh, standouts? Oh, just the uh, the, only, the other uh, little moment that uh, amused me is uh, that when 
they showed Lucas uh, chatting mm. with uh, Ahsoka with Rosario Dawson. That was that was fun. Uh, but also, there's that blurry photo of of Lucas with the child and seeing yeah. <laughs> seeing Favreau actually snap it. Uh, and then that it says George Lucas, creator of Star Wars. Yeah. Uh huh. We yeah. <laughs> Always a little weird. Yeah. That was good. I, I enjoy, I really enjoy Bryce Dallas Howard. I, I just, uh, she was a star last year's uh, inside look and, and this one um, not, not, I guess won me over even more, but I was already won over. I, I truly believe that one day we might look back and, and be like, she was, she, Oh, she was an actor before she was a director. Oh, wow. Got it. Uh, she just is so in tune. You can clearly see actors, director, all those things we've talked about before, but just, just the joy she brings, uh, that, that kind of warmth she seems to exude on set, but also knows what she wants and knows the story she's going to tell. And that little moment, and, and it was one of Grace's favorite moments in us watching it, where she's just like, ladies pay in my world. And, <laughs> and the, the extra give the cat the little credits to the uh, the woman he was at, sitting at the table with. I, I love that moment because Grace, uh, Grace loved it. The Bryce Dallas Howard just like, nope, this is, I, I am I am Star Wars with purpose uh, from the small to the big, and I love that. Yeah, yeah, it's really great to see uh, see her being uh, such kind of a, a great uh, leader on set and being firm. And then it was really fun that she had some nice sweaters while she was talking to the all the Mon Calamari with the nice sweaters too. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and the last one for me, there, there's a lot to discuss. We're not doing a full breakdown, but you mentioned Tamara Morrison, just him, just him, everything about him and the joy and the seriousness of him coming back to play Django's son. He talks the way he talked about it and just seeing him on set and the song and, and what he brought in with the, the dance and, and um, the, the cultural aspect to it and, and requesting, you know, a gaffy stick that's longer so he can, he can use it to, to fit in with the, the cultural influence he wanted to bring to that moment. Everything about it, him, it's great. And I love, you know, he's 59, six, probably about 60, turning 60 this year. You know, the dude looks great great shape and and all the thing about old man fat and and him quote unquote being out of shape first of all you know hope you're hope you're all comfortable with what you are this isn't a, a discussions into bodies here but i again i'm not i'm not joking i really do feel seen i was lifting weights this weekend also waiting to have my thai food going yeah i'm boba fett right now and i <laughs> love it and i just i just am excited he's here excited to see what he does book boba fett but even if this was just it he came back with with purpose as well, and it showed. And I loved him, and I'm all there for old man Fett, and I love it. Yeah, it it's so great on so many levels, and that just great, delightful Star Wars weirdness uh, that he's uh, that the character of Boba Fett has been through a lot because old man Fett is like in his 30s, right? <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, you know, Bo-Katan's uh, you know probably approaching 70, but. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, different uh, different people age differently in that time. I mean, really goes yeah. for Star Wars. I mean, Tamara Morrison being fifty nine and Ming Na Wen being fifty seven is uh, you talk about stats on the back of baseball cards. Those are two of my favorite stats right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, any other fun moments for you? I don't want to leave any on the table for you. Uh, no, those. Uh, you know, yes, but we could be here all day. Those are the ones I really wanted to highlight. Yeah. Uh, and you talked about it. We, we got one episode, not a full breakdown. And it leads to a second question about a big thing missing from this episode. <laughs> so how do you feel about uh, as we wrap up the discussion here, Joseph, about, again, one episode? And will we get more about, you know, that Jedi guy showing up at the end? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as much as I enjoyed that first season of Disney Gallery, uh, I kind of did enjoy this just being 
uh, a special because I feel like I got to see a little bit of each director. I got to see, uh, like I said, art department thoughts and, you know, uh, stunt uh, fighter thoughts and all, all sorts of things. Little, little bits of information about why they made certain choices about, you know, bringing in Ahsoka now, Boba Fett now, all that kind of thing. Uh, Rick Famiyiwa, I want to make sure to mention, you know, it was yep. great to, to get that great picture of him as the super calm, super cool, super collected, but knows exactly what he wants. And, you know, the little bit he said about how uh, he he's one of the only people, uh, along with Filoni and, and uh, his co-writer last season, who has been a writer for Mandalorian. And I, I liked what he said about, I want to explore the gray areas and how we use power and all that. Uh, but all that said, I kind of like leaving a little mystery from the writers and directors about the real kind of deep choices and the real deep meaning. Um, I've been, I've been feeling this more and more uh, lately that we have a culture right now. That's like the movie comes out and then two seconds later do an hour round table <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and have the creators tell you exactly what it meant. Yeah. And sometimes I enjoy that. Sometimes I think that's valid. Sometimes I think that's great, but I think the Mandalorian in particular is such tip of the iceberg storytelling where sometimes a thing is ambiguous or a thing can be interpreted a couple different ways or you're I think it's art that invites you to wonder and I'm kind of happy to have not all of that that room to wonder that room to dream that room to wrestle with the ambiguous to be uh bulldozed by these incredibly charming thoughtful directors just saying yeah here's what it meant mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah. Interestingly enough, I was also watching uh, the documentary series on Netflix called Song Song Exploder, and they were, you know, sitting down with Trent Reznor. <laughs> this is Trent Reznor Star Wars. And they were asking him about the lyrics of Hurt. It was the song they were covering. And he was like, I, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. You're trying to get me to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. I know what it means. I don't. That's what it means to me. What does it mean to you type of conversation? And I, I do think that's important nowadays in an era. Cause again, I'm one who's like, can we get a documentary about every second of the decades I grew up in? Cause I'd love to, I'd love to know. <laughs> but when it comes to some of the stuff, maybe, yeah, maybe we could uh, learn to back off a, a little bit and, and engage with it on, in our own ways. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I just, I appreciated it. It did. This just felt like just right. Uh, amount of, of insights into kind of, what they wanted to explore, how they were exploring it. Oh, that was one other thing I did want to mention. I, I liked, uh, I liked Floney saying always, uh, always uh, keep learning. That's what a Jedi would do. I like that Jedi philosophy. Uh, and, and I feel like maybe that's what I'm feeling is this gave us a, some great insights, but didn't just, you know, say everything still, uh, left room for, uh, for lots of thoughts and discussions among fans. I, I think that's, I think that's a great, point you made. I, I really do. I really think it's great. And I'm glad you brought that up, uh, especially in the era we are uh, in now, where again, it, it helps us all, even, even, even me helps remind me that what I take from these movies or what I think they're about is still begins with me. And that's my version. And there's many versions out there. And that's a good reminder, including the director versions. And, yeah. Uh, uh, final thing, just final thing. All right, you ready? Couple months, maybe. Suddenly on Disney Plus, when you're watching their st stories about dogs, and uh, with some of my still my favorite programming on Disney Plus, um, are you suddenly going to want to see uh, Luke Skywalker and Mandalorian? The documentaries, the gallery. Uh, look at that. I'm so curious. Uh, yeah, 
I mean, I think I'd be, I, I want to hear about it when they want to tell me about it. <laughs> I mean, there's a part of me that's like, you know, it seems clear from tweets back and forth between uh, Mark Hamill and Ming-Na Wen that Mark Hamill was indeed physically there on the set uh, from their tweets, it sounds like, uh, is the way I interpret them. Uh, so yeah, of course, there's a part of me that wants to see uh, Mark Hamill standing there and in and see the exact technical choices they made. But I think it also goes under like, yeah, I'm fine leaving that be a little mysterious for myself right now. I also think there might be just something about they're not ready for whatever reason to discuss the technological choices they made that, you mm -hmm. know, if they're still developing them, if they're, you know, using them in the future, you know, if they're not trademarked yet or patented yet or whatever, who knows? Who yeah. knows why they didn't uh, choose to show us that? Uh, but I'm, I'm OK not seeing it right now. Yeah, I want to uh, one day give me that uh, documentary series, uh, eight part look at uh, Luke Skywalker, Disney Gallery. But yeah, uh, who knows why? Maybe there are also some secrecy issues. I just can't imagine if you get Mark Hamill back on set that you wouldn't be rolling some some B, B roll uh, and some behind the scenes stuff. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. But for now, this is what we got. And that was our quick look at it there from uh, that. Uh, look at the Disney Gallery Mandalorian Season 2. We'll go to the news. Not a lot. A little bit of a quiet week. We are not surprised by that. It's the holidays. But this morning when we recorded, we released the episode a day later, we had the High Republic live stream on StarWars.com and Star Wars YouTube channel hosted uh, by Kristen Baver. Uh, we had a, a collection of authors, Kevin Scott, Claudia Gray, Justina Ireland, Charles Soule, Daniel Jose Older and Michael Sigline of the uh, publishing wing there. And uh, an intro from Kathleen Kennedy in, in talking about the publishing initiative. And we went into about an hour discussion on the High Republic. Joseph and I will be looking at Light of the Jedi very soon. We've uh, we've got that book in our hands and we're reading it and enjoying it as well. We'll talk about that in a second. But um, overall thoughts, uh, did you get a chance to sit down with this one here, Joseph? Uh, I did not actually watch the live stream. I, I apologize. There were some uh, time management issues. <laughs> There's a lot going on in life. And I had to choose between this, which is force center work, and uh, having a, a nice hearty breakfast. And I chose I chose this. Uh, I guess I'm a hero. I'm a hero, everybody. I didn't have my egg. <laughs> um, so here's some stuff uh, we'll just highlight here kind of quickly here. Uh, a lot of it was really rolling this out to people who are not familiar with it because I thought with a lot of it was – not repeated information, one-for-one uh, one repeats, but just, uh, you know, we, if you've been following along, if you're doing a Star Wars podcast or you go to StarWars.com every day, we are familiar with a lot of the stuff they talked about today, characters and designs and everything there, and the overall discussion. Uh, but there's some great stuff to pull out of it here. Uh, I did want to talk about uh, Charles Soule, uh, talked about at the beginning. They did this riders retreat, retreat up the Skywalker Ranch, some story group people there, some Disney uh, and Lucasfilm execs. But the authors were there just just roundtabling what they think this could be. And, and Charles Soule went to the idea of what was impressive impressive about star wars and claudia gray said yeah cool got that i've been writing star wars for a bit i want to look at what i love about other epic sagas those are two big starting points for this uh era of storytelling joseph what'd you take from that yeah i, I think both of those uh perspectives are really really great and really really important uh that's a thing that they have been talking a lot about on mandalorian about how favreau in wants to be inspired by the things that inspired Lucas. So I think it's two really great ways to look at it uh, without any spoilers, you know, reading Charles Sewell's light of the Jedi 
I can feel that in my very bones. <laughs> that yep. question of what was impressive about Star Wars. Um, not going to say any spoilers, but in particular, that novel is taking ideas about government and ideas about Jedi that are in Star Wars and saying, let's see more of that iceberg. Let's that that one thing that was kind of in the corner and was cool. Let's go all the way with that. So I'm really enjoying that. Uh, and, and I think and I think Claudia Gray is also got such a great perspective. I was t- talking on the podcast a little while back. Uh, there's a Netflix uh, show, very short show called Myths and Monsters. It's one season, six episodes, but a pretty great overview on just some big picture myths, why we tell them, how we approach them, how they're different in different cultures, how they change over time. And I remember watching that and just getting so excited because like, yeah, that's that's one of the parts of Star Wars and we should always re-examine that. Because uh, that is so, so foundational to uh, the part of Star Wars that is, why do we tell these stories? Why do they matter? And it's really cool to hear that Claudia Gray is kind of going on that journey. Yeah, because you're building this all up from the ground level, even though it's Star Wars. And so Charles Soule's uh, use of the word impressive, uh, impressive was I, I really highlighted that. If, if that could be a, a lot of things, and you're, you're talking about two big, you know, discussion points, government and the Jedi. And clearly we're getting that. We're going to touch upon that in a second. But also, I, I again, no, no spoilers, a little tease, but the first third of this book is this kind of big event, that this great disaster. And it is so cinematic in, 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 in scope and tension and, and, and what's at stake and just everything there that that's always been what I've kind of looked at as Star Wars and, and what's impressive about Star Wars. Is it just you're not just pulled in the world, but you're pulled into the fight. You're pulled into the causes. You're pulled into uh, what you might lose. And and I thought he just, uh, I heard that. And I was like, ah, that, that, that kind of, I was impressed with <laughs> the first third of his book and his book overall. But I was like, that just kind of connects to me. And then it, as it flows into the other things that you mentioned there that we're going to talk about. And Claudia Gray, yeah, that just makes sense too of, of Star Wars is so based on and uh, other things in the sense of what influences the storytelling that makes some sense there. Uh, I forget who said it. I'm sorry, but I was sipping coffee. I, I just wrote down the quote, not who said it. I think it was Charles Soule or maybe Kevin Scott. But this era finds the Jedi not hidden away. The Jedi are out with the people, and that makes them part of the people. And they kind of referenced a little bit of Phantom Menace era, prequel era of, of the Jedi, not locked away in their towers. Clearly, they're out and about. But just, uh, you know, a little bit of a change. And this is 200 years earlier. That makes some sense. And this is an era of still of exploration, of growth and expansion and building blocks for what's to come. So I, I was very curious uh, what your reaction to that description of the Jedi during this time period. Was. Yeah, I, I love that because I think the uh, I think in retrospect, a lot of Charles Sewell and Kevin Scott and Claudia Gray's work in particular, because they were already writing about Jedi and force stuff are going to be looked back as like, this is, these are the prequels to the concepts of parts of the high Republic. You know, I know they're not the only people uh, creating it, but, but they were already writing Jedi stuff. And in particular, Claudia Gray has that passage in master and apprentice where Qui-Gon is kind of openly wondering about this of maybe Jedi should not be raised in a beautiful temple in a, you know, in, in the heart of the, the core on this, you know, urban city planet, maybe they should be out and about with, the people of the galaxy or even outside of the fancier parts of Coruscant so they can, you know, understand what kind of day-to-day people are going through. And I think that's a really neat and interesting idea. And so far, again, without spoilers, 
what's been great about Light of the Jedi is it is not hand wavy. It is not an opening crawl about the government is good and so are the Jedi and now they have some adventures. There is an effort to show specifically what choices make a difference. And this is one of them. Yeah, you're, you're so right. That might have been subconsciously one of the things I was, I guess I'll say, worried about going in the High Republic. Of All right, you know, the Jedi are running around doing good things. The government's great. And we got some pirates over there causing problems. It's already so much more, um, especially when you talk about uh, the leadership decisions and, the, and decisions of the, of the government, uh, both good and bad. There's a lot at play there. But this particular, you, I think you, I think um this is off my notes here, but I think there is a Je- there's definitely a Jedi coming in the High Republic. We haven't met him yet. That is uh, a little privileged in a sense uh, from Coruscant, it, raised on Coruscant, trained on Coruscant, a Jedi on Coruscant, and to have to go out in the galaxy and see what's actually out there will be something that seems to be uh, that will affect him. And I'm, just, I'm that's in the back of my mind of one of the descriptions when we met some of the characters. And I think Claudia Gray is right in that character, right? Do you remember I think that? So yeah, I, think I believe so. so. So that all tracks. <laughs> That's all there, yep. and that and 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 look, it's it's uh it's not a con, con, condemnation uh, of one way or the other. It's just an examination of it and what could be better and and how can you make it all work the right way. And already, <laughs> here's our our phrase for the days: try not to spoil. Already, uh, you see just the different perspectives from the Jedi and their backgrounds and what they know and how they feel and interact with the Force, how that uh, fuels some of their decisions, uh, good and bad, and, and and heroic decisions too. And and I really, I don't know, that's going to be fascinating. The philosophy of the Jedi is going to be a play a lot in the series, and that was interesting. Yeah, absolutely, um, I love it. Yeah. You've been mentioning the government stuff. We got Chancellor Lena So, who's got her. Uh, gosh, I already forget the names. I haven't done my full light of the Jedi notes, but she's got these two cool guard cats, <laughs> <They're> <laughs> giant, with like four sets of eyes, and uh, she's a really interesting character already. But uh, they talked about uh, this um, in the press conference or the event today. Uh, just this idea at the center of the Republic is uh, is a beautiful idea. Is at the center of the Republic. Let me say it right. Uh, and that is this era of uh, the the galaxy is definitely expanding, but it's also, I think, trying to build up. And you got the great works and this concept, it's this almost political campaign speech. You can tell she probably won elections on, but it's real to her. This we are all the republic and that pops up a lot. And and you, you, you mentioned the government stuff and the choices, Joseph, and what even the Starlight Beacon itself, the space station, means good and bad to people. Um, uh, you got to be excited about that and, and, and glad that they're addressing it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just from the Charles Sewell's book, you know, we'll, we'll get into all the details when we do our review. It is really clear that the whole uh, story group for this, the whole high Republic creators sat down and, and discussed, okay, well, what does, if this is a golden time, what does that really mean? Uh, you know, what kind of leader would be there? What kind of mistakes that we've seen in the prequels would they be trying to avoid? How would they be trying to avoid them? You know, what would their anxieties be? What would be the risks of what they're trying to do? So it all comes across as really genuine and realistic so far. And I think it all it all relates back to this idea of this uh, chancellor who is really trying to sell the galaxy on, mm-hmm. uh, uh, on a really Jedi force perspective of we are all connected and let's help each other. Yeah, and, and a lot was mentioned, and, and I know we discussed it before, but uh, Camelot, the idea of Camelot, 
both uh, Arthurian legend, but also what was uh, kind of referred to as uh, JFK and his cabinet and his presidency in the early 60s. And uh, Charles Holt did touch upon it in the conference of like, that was a great time, not for everybody. And they're going to examine that as well. But it's uh, it's going to lead to some, I think, some interesting storytelling as well, because Star Wars and politics go together. I've always been excited by those conversations. Uh, some other news and notes here. There was a lot. There was a lot of great stuff. Again, this one for an hour. Every author got a chance to talk about favorite characters. Daniel Jose Older's got a character coming called Buckets of Blood. That is <laughs> on, yeah, Daniel Jose Older was a paramedic for a long time, and, and there used to be someone he worked with who would get on the radio and, and take a, a call for service and be like, you tell him Buckets of Blood is coming. And that was his name. Like he referred to him. One of the comics. Um, we've, we know a lot about uh, the, one of the villains that actually we got a correct pronunciation. Markion Rowe is uh, the eye of the Nile. Already an interesting character from what we've read. Uh, they talked about him. Uh, this was interesting, Joseph, the, the Drengar, the, the Drengar. This is the, the plant, the sentient plant life enemy that uh, is, is coming in this era as well. A little dark side influence. Mm. Uh, going on there what do you think about that we haven't talked about light and dark too much in this era but it's there yeah no i think that's great uh they they had that trailer uh as well right and in that mm. trailer ended with uh they're gonna fight all these foes and uh there'll be a battle for control of the force itself and that i think was really interesting uh mm. to me that it, it made it sound like oh yeah there's gonna be something that is on this actual sort of a cosmic level of of the actual uh, identity of the force so i'm very excited uh we talked a lot about before about the drenger i'm so excited to see how they play out they're that perfect mix of the the pulp the adventure serial of yeah they're they're plant monsters yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they're, they're swamp not, things yeah these uh, alien monsters yeah, yeah right they're day of the triffid they're you know mm-hmm. that's great that's absolutely great but they have such deep potential for meaning in star wars it, the constant star wars uh push and pull between what is it to be flowing and organic versus what is it to be you know mechanical and and perfect um yeah. And, yeah. and that relationship is going to be really interesting already a little more excited for them than i was before not that i didn't enjoy the idea of killer plants running roaming around the galaxy there um you know but uh dark side influence doesn't mean the plants are sith but just <laughs> like the the galaxy uh, the force what it is and, and getting into those areas i'm already intrigued so that was one of my favorite little parts um some uh kind of housekeeping news and notes here uh michael sigling talked about the was asked about the reading order he did say hey release order is probably the best way if you want but really this is designed even though things are so connected this is a very connected era of storytelling it's definitely designed to, you could just pick up a comic if that's all you want to read. You can read the, just the YA novels if that's what you want to read or the Delray novels. You'll be able to experience the era uh, a lot by just focusing on just certain parts of it if you want. Or you can read it all. And there will be a lot, uh, uh, Joseph, the Star Wars Insider. Remember that uh, magazine? It's still going. We, I used to run to Barnes & Noble in the 90s and get it. Oh, what a different era. They will have serialized fiction from this era in episode, excuse, issues of Star Wars Insider, called Stories of Starlight, and some other ones that will be uh, prequel-ish or mo- moments after the book finish, those kind of stories. So I ask you of these two final, these, these points I just brought up, Joseph, the release order and then s- serialized fiction in Star Wars Insider. That's a lot. 
Are you okay with all this? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm trying to. I, I, I have this just this desire to try to keep up with it all, and I don't know if I'll be able to. But it is just this kind of fun moment to like let's all start fresh, you know. Uh, and I want to try to keep up, but uh, I am also a little bit concerned that I won't be. And obviously, honestly, the Star Wars Insider was like, oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, another. Uh, they're they're eventually going to bundle these into some, you know, book I can buy. Right, all these stories. But so we'll I, see. We'll see. It's a lot, and I understand why it's a lot because it's exciting, and I think it is also. It's really great to hear that there's a a, a an effort to make it accessible. I think accessibility is a huge part of this. The again, no spoilers. I think Light of the Jedi is totally accessible if you've never Star Wars before. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's great to say, like, if you just want to read a story in the back of a magazine, if you just want to read the YA books, I think that's great. Yeah, I think I think they had to be aware of that. It seems like uh, they're delivering on that. And yeah, I, you know, I've been really enjoying Light of the Jedi, but my, my comic book guy, the guy who runs the shop I go to, and I haven't stepped foot in the sh- shop since uh, January, I think. But I, he's been mailing my comics. And, I, you know, I'm like, do I go digital? What do I do? I'm still trying to support this shop. And he's like, hey, I got a stack here. I can mail it out to you. I'll invoice you. We got that new High Republic series coming. And I had a moment where I went, oh, that's right. Oh, oh boy. Um, but then today, coming out of this event, I got excited. Like you said, Joseph, we are here. New. Time to start fresh. And you can just kind of work your way through it. And I like that. Yeah. Final yeah. one here. Uh, final one, little housekeeping thing. We got three phases of this um, of, uh, publishing initiative that's going for a few years. We knew We knew that. Uh, they're calling uh, the three phases, Light of the Jedi, which we're in right now, Quest of the Jedi, and Trials of the Jedi. That sounds wonderfully ominous. Any thoughts on those phases? Everyone loves phases, Joseph. I do love phases. I'm more excited than I thought for phases. Uh, that sounds like just a great classic three-act structure. And sometimes I get up in the morning and, and, you know, optimism, light, and then I'm trying to get something done, quest, and then by the end of the day, I have uh, encountered trials. So I think it's very relatable, very good. And honestly, just hearing the phases, I think there's a part of me, it's, this is so weird to say after I just said all the nice things about this fresh, brand new journey, there's a part of me that feels like I'd, I'd really be okay if this was a kind of set story, you know? Mm-hmm. That it wasn't just, we're setting a new era and now we're just going to tell endless stories. But it was a little bit more like other Star Wars has been, where this main story in this era is going to be told with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And then there will always be room to jump back in and tell stories set in that era or tell stories about characters in that era. But the story itself, much like we can still tell stories set in and around the original trilogy, but that story is... It, it begins, <laughs> it escalates, and it ends. Uh, I I would be kind of happy if the High Republic was like a five year mission. Honestly, you know, I uh, I'm there with you on it. I'd love a finish line. Doesn't mean you can't revisit it down the line. Just like you know, give me another Skywalker saga essay somewhere. I don't care. But yeah, I, I'm with you too. A, a finish, some some sort of finish line. A light at the end of the tunnel uh, would be would work for me. But we'll see. Right now, a lot of High Republic era coming. The books are out. Uh, the comics coming out this week. Uh, I know uh, getting things shipped it can be a little bit of a challenge right now, understandably. Uh, so have patience. The stories will emerge. And Joseph and I will dive into Light of the Jedi right quick here 
on Force Center. Final quick uh, new uh, news moment here. Uh, Patty Jenkins uh, gave small, very small Rogue Squadron updates, as did Chris Pine. We'll work that <laughs> Uh, talking about, uh, you know, Wonder Woman 84 is out. She's doing a lot of press for it, as was Chris Pine. Uh, so she said the treatment for Rogue Squadron is all already done. She's working a lot on a lot. Obviously, more Wonder Woman, uh, Clea Badge, a lot of things are going on. She, uh, thankfully, is, is a director that is uh, that is hot, hot, hot. Uh, regardless of any opinions of Wonder Woman 84, we're not having that discussion here. In fact, I haven't had a chance to see it yet. All right. Um, she uh, is uh, doing some great stuff. So she got the treatment done. Uh, she said, she uh, mentioned that there's um, a high-profile male screenwriter. That might not be a direct quote, but what a lot of the news articles are describing. A high-profile male screenwriter is writing the script, but Patty doesn't want to reveal who it is. She wants his own announcement uh, to have its day in the sun, and that's still forthcoming there. Uh, and the final one here, um, uh, Chris Pine has heard the story. Chris Pine has heard the story, and he likes it. He likes it. So <laughs> any thoughts on all that stuff? The Rogue Squadron kind of updates. The kind of updates. You know, I I, I totally understand that it is part of the uh, press and coverage game. If, if you've got somebody like Chris Pine, you're interviewing him for Wonder Woman 84. Like, yeah, hey, you know anything about Rogue Squadron? Are you going to be in it? Do you like it? And of course, he's just like, no, I, I heard the sto- this story. I didn't read the treatment. I, didn't give, I heard the story. And it was great. Uh, that, that all makes sense to me. But I love the way it can get phrased in articles. Like Chris Pine was like... Uh, Press, please come to my home at noon on Tuesday. <laughs> I'm going to stand on my front steps and I shall give an announcement. Like, you know, it's a casual opinion offered during another interview and I'm happy for it. But, you know, he, you know, Chris Pine didn't, didn't finally reveal anything, you know? Yeah. Uh, we, it's, we, I had a weird moment. We, uh, a few Comic Cons ago, we were at a press breakfast for The Walking Dead, and me and some of the uh, Schmoes gang were sitting at a table with the, gosh, I forget his name, David, uh, who plays the, the, the governor with the eye patch, the governor. On oh, Walking yeah, 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 yeah. I'm spacing his name as well, but yes. Yeah. Charming. He's also been on Doctor Who. Yes, indeed. And charming guy, a UK based guy. And this was prior to Force Awakens. And, you know, there's some UK connections to Star Wars productions all the time. And I just some of the people I was at the table with, uh, most people were whispering, were whispering to me like, we got we got to see if we can get some Star Wars news out of him. I'm like, the guy's having an omelet, man. Like, <laughs> what, what, what am I, what am I getting? Ask him. And we tried. We didn't get anything out of him. He was savvy. He was savvy. Uh, he didn't get, we didn't get anything out of it. So it is the game. It is the game indeed. Big question of when the Rogue Squadron movie takes place. Still unknown. Joseph, how are we going to survive not knowing the era? Uh, you know, I think we would just have to enjoy the mystery. Um, yeah. That, I, yeah, I, I think I think so far uh, with the evidence that we have of, you know, a new generation in a future uh, era, that all sounds like post-sequel. Uh, trilogy and I think for me I am gonna spend my daydreaming about Rogue Squadron time thinking about what that means for the story you know how mm. much how much galaxy building are they gonna do about what the state of the government is you know is, is the movie gonna uh, you know get into the sort of the philosophy of if there is a Rogue Squadron in a post-sequel era that means some philosophical things of is are they is there a new threat are they in defense uh you know is this a, a small scale stake thing is the galaxy still in a little bit of turmoil because the government was entirely shattered you, you know even if this is 10 years after uh rise of skywalker i'm i'm going to spend my time thinking about some of some of those things and i still think the most exciting thing to me about the idea that it is set after the sequels 
is this idea that there'd be a storied history and a reverence mm-hmm. for what Rogue Squadron means. And this is a new generation mm-hmm. trying to earn their wings and earn the mantle, you know, of, uh, of uh, Derek Hobby Clivian. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I want a character to look at the other character and be like, you know what you are? You're dangerous. You're dangerous like Zev Zaneska was. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm po- poking a little bit fun, but but I do mean that of the the uh, the weight, especially the people who play those video games a lot like I did, or particularly who grew up with the books, the idea that what what that group of people did was meaningful how can a new generation live up to it is that's powerful, interesting stuff. Yeah. And again, glad I'm not writing a Star Wars movie. I'm not the uh, screenwriter. I did this. Uh, you, uh, you and I try to do a little bit of digging, look at some IMDB pages. We definitely do not know this information, who this writer is. Uh, we're still open. There's no pattern. Sometimes you look for the patterns and uh, you know, the director's careers or who they worked with a lot, nothing that we see emerging. So it's going to be a fun announcement when it comes. Yeah, exactly. And I think the only thing, my only thought on the writer right now is, you know, I'm really hoping for somebody with a a great track record, a great perspective, all those things, a great working relationship with Patty Jenkins. But uh, I know not all Star Wars fans feel this way, but I actually do have a lot of faith in the team at Lucasfilm, everything from Kathleen Kennedy to the story group to Dave Filoni, that they do really, really keep an eye on the big ideas of Star Wars and the, the core philosophy and try new things while protecting the old uh, and, and protecting what really, really matters about the heart of Star Wars. And, and I have faith that that will happen with, with this new movie. I do as well. Let's look at our Star Wars news. We've got your questions coming up. Before we do that, we have a Force Center Recommends, an audiobook we think you should try out on us. And Joseph, well, yep, this is the one this week that is uh, definitely the one you want to get right now. Yeah, this one seems pretty obvious. Easiest pick ever. It is Light of the Jedi by Charles Sewell. Ignite your blade so you can fully uh, be lit while you listen to this great, great book. Absolutely. Do that by downloading your free audiobook today at audibletrial.com slash center. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash center for your free audiobook. Your questions are on the way here on Center. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, Four Center friends, make sure you're keeping up to date on all the great content from Jennifer Landa. Whether it's YouTube, Instagram, or TikTok, you whippersnappers, Four Center's own Jennifer Landa continues to bring you fun, informative, and insightful laughs and moments. Also, Jennifer brings her experience and perspective as a Star Wars-loving mother to her DIY projects, blogs, and more. So be sure to head on over to JennyLanda.com. That's J-E-N-I-L-A-N-D-A.com for articles like how to make your own Darth Maul sneakers or 10 unique Star Wars baby gift ideas. Follow Jen on Twitter and Instagram at JenniferLanda and on TikTok as JenniferLanda1138. Welcome back to Force Center. Now it's time for your questions. We go to the far reaches of social media and our Patreon page to hear from all of you. Joseph, what do we have today? Yeah, that's right. Uh, far reaches uh, of Twitter is uh, a pinned tweet at the top of our <laughs> our uh, Force Center uh, Twitter page. So if you want to ask us a question, we now have a pinned tweet and you can just go ahead and ask a question there. That's the best way to find them because when they come in from all over social media, they can be uh, difficult to find. So that's the best chance. Uh, right now, we got two great questions from Twitter and then two great questions from patrons on Patreon. We'll go first to Twitter. Tim Harrison asks, uh, with Hayden returning to the Kenobi series, do you think he can show up in other projects? Ahsoka? Maybe he can redo his Return of the Jedi cameo since I heard that was just random footage of him. <laughs> uh, I, I I cannot personally speak to that. I did not have time to, to do the deep dive of research. I don't know if that is random footage of uh, Hayden myself. Uh, but Ken, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think that Hayden uh, will return in other places in Star Wars? I definitely 
opens up the possibilities. I never would have thought that, you know, but the Ahsoka series, uh, yeah, I don't think you necessarily need him in that story in the present sense, obviously a force ghost or something like that, I guess you could say, but uh, you know, any kind of flashbacks, I am intrigued. I, I just get my, I'm getting, I gotta be careful. I'm getting myself geeked up for something that's probably not going to happen even in the Kenobi series of like, could you imagine a weird flashback where also you have Natalie Portman doing Padme and it's some alternate reality of what could have been like, bah, 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 I start getting so excited. So I guess I'm with you, Tim, like, Hey, maybe this could work as far as the, the return of the Jedi stuff. Yeah. Well, it was I think they grabbed his face from something else. I, I don't know if, but that's the thing. If George was in charge still, and, and I know a lot of people still want that George doesn't, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I could see him going, Hey, Hayden's come back. Uh, let me go reshoot part of uh, Jedi. Jokes, jokes aside, I could see that, but uh, no, I don't. I don't think they'll do that. Yeah, I don't think. Uh, I, I think that you know Lucas delivered his final versions of the films, which is why uh, we all had the delightful surprise of uh, one last gift from George Lucas in the form of a, a random McClunky uh, mm-hmm. from Greedo. Uh, I don't think that they're going to mess with the uh, original trilogy or change anything in the original trilogy uh, at this point. Although that is a really a fun discussion to be had. So many different feelings about uh, Hayden's uh, appearance at the end of Return of the Jedi. Um, but I am, I loved him bringing up uh, the possibility of Ahsoka. I'm very intrigued by that. And again, it's totally, it's totally what the story needs. Uh, I have my own kind of personal uh, opinion interpretation based on the storytelling that exists now that four spirits do not show up like, you know, um, how to, YouTube videos, you know, they don't just pop up because they yeah. they appear when they are deeply, deeply needed uh, by someone that they have a connection to. Or I think, you know, with a relationship like Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, where Qui-Gon is sort of uh, they're communing because Qui-Gon is teaching him how to become one with the force in this different way. Like then maybe, yeah, Kenobi can kind of summon Qui-Gon like we see in that uh, great from a certain point of view, a new hope story. Uh, but all of that is to say, like, I don't know what Ahsoka's journey is going to be in the Ahsoka show. I read that she is not entirely at peace uh, when we see her in The Mandalorian. So if this quest that she's going on, it, which we're assuming is to find Ezra, deal with Thrawn, maybe. Um, if, if she gets to a point where she truly, truly needs help, that would be an amazing scene to see. Anakin appear to her uh, yeah. at an extremely low moment, given that Ahsoka has always been a character of great strength who has definitely had low moments, but has, has been able to, to rebound and find her strength. That What a great way for Anakin to appear, because it wouldn't really be about Anakin. It's, it's rarely about the Force Spirits when yeah. they appear. It's about the other character. And sometimes the other character tries to get something out of the Force Spirit mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that is, you know, they need to reconcile with. But it's fascinating for me to think about what would it mean for the story, for the character uh, of Ahsoka, if Anakin showed up. Yeah. There's a, you and I've talked about this uh, campfire conversation. We'd love to imagine with Luke and Ahsoka and Luke kind of saying, Hey, at the end of, uh, you know, Anakin's life, your, my father's life, this is what he became Anakin again, that kind of stuff. And and you're so right. I, I'm with you on highlighting what I feel some, an underlying uh, pain uh, going on in Ahsoka in Mandalorian season two. Uh, so, you know, something like that transfers to, Force Ghost Anakin sitting on a log saying, uh, here's what's going on. If that serves Ahsoka, I think that's key to your point, and I second that. 
Yeah, and that would be fascinating. Uh, just uh, I think it, the the sheer volume of uh, of tweets that there would be comparing uh, moments in the Clone Wars animated series <laughs> to uh, that live action thing would be great. Great thoughts, Tim. Uh, it is a very can you you've been saying this for years, uh, and it's always been true. But right now, with all these new shows and all these new actors. Re- new and old actors uh, and characters, it is a really exciting time because all these possibilities are wide open now, you know? All the dreams you had in the 80s as a kid, uh, guess what? They're all true now. So, uh, Or <laughs> 90s or 2000s, whatever era, they're all true. They really are. Uh, and speaking of dreams, let's take a question from Broom Kid. Uh, Broom Kid is keeping us on the Ahsoka train uh, and asks, what happened to the character Morgan Elsbeth? Uh, did Ahsoka kill her? Did Ahsoka get the info she wanted and let Morgan make like a tree and leave? (laughs) Make Uh, like a tree and get out of here. Yeah. 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 So uh, if uh, I'm sure uh, most of our listeners are are all caught up, Uh, this is, of course, a Mandalorian question. Chapter 13, the Jedi. Uh, We do last see Ahsoka, uh, at least uh, we last see Morgan Elsbeth uh, with Ahsoka defeating her uh putting that glowing white blade to her throat and saying where is grand admiral thrawn where do you go with this ken what uh i think that's very much a choice to leave us in ambiguity and cut the scene there but what do you think happened next this is a great question broom kid and it goes probably into some deeper areas areas of, of jedi philosophy and ahsoka where she is in her life all those kind of things i you know I, it does not read to me that she Killed her. I just can't imagine Ahsoka doing that. Uh, I letting her go with an assurance that you're not doing what you've been doing, which is you know kind of continuing to build, uh, you know, a war machine for the Empire. I can't imagine Ahsoka trusting her to do that too. I don't. We don't know Morgan Elsbeth too much beyond this episode, obviously. So, I if I have to choose, if I have to make a choice, I think she she gets the information, and I think she might take her with her. But even though, even though, look, look I know, you know, I know, I don't, I, I know we don't see her, but we don't, we don't know what ship Ahsoka has somewhere. We don't know. We don't know. Morgan Elizabeth could be uh, tied up waiting for a ride. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I love that there is ambiguity. This is the, I've been banging on about ambiguity lately. And I think this yeah. is a good kind of ambiguity because in a way, the fact that we don't know is, you know, setting up great. Uh, suspense and tension for what is at stake in the Ahsoka series? Where is Ahsoka at? Um, but if I had to just have guesses and headcanon right now, I think Ahsoka was really clear in that episode of she's getting that information. Uh, the way she says, you know, I'm not going to give you a choice not to give me the information. You're going to give me the information. It's very, very clear of I, I have power and I'm going to use it because I need that information from you to help other people. So you're going to give it to me. Uh, so I think somehow Ahsoka got that information. I think from there, Ahsoka would probably n- not at, not allow Morgan to continue. I don't think she'd let her go, put it that way, because not only is Morgan, you know, doing kind of big picture, oh, I'm working with Imperials, I'm rebuilding arms. She's viciously torturing that town, like literally, right? Like, using pain as a symbol of power, stringing people up. I don't think there's any way Ahsoka lets that continue. So I think Ahsoka, to your point, Ken, I think there's a very good chance she's like, great, here are the uh, the flex cuffs. <laughs> and get, yeah. get in my ship. You know, I'll drop you off at the, you know, uh, New Republic uh, prison ship. Um, yeah. Or I'll keep you with me, you know, uh, mm-hmm. because you're going to you're gonna show me where Thrawn is or whatever. I, I think that's a great idea. 
there's a part of me that feels like you know Ahsoka tries to give her um tries to say all right I'm gonna let you live and Morgan Elizabeth tries to kill her and I think that mm-hmm. Ahsoka would absolutely take her down in self-defense yeah I agree with that too I don't think it's I don't think the end of that scene is uh, Ahsoka saying where's Grand Admiral Thawne and Morgan Elizabeth's like okay he's on this planet and Ahsoka's like thanks <laughs> uh, yeah I don't yeah, I mean, I think I think Ahsoka is at a place in her Jedi philosophy where I don't want to cut you down, but if you make a bad choice, I will, because yeah. I have power and and I'm and I'm making a choice to use it, and that is a part of being a Jedi. Uh, she seems to have fully embraced that, um, mm-hmm. but I don't think, yeah, I don't think she would she would just cut her down unless she uh, had her hand forced. Yeah, yeah, she's she's always going to go to the light. Uh, no gray. Uh, she's not going to step to the dark side and chop her head off just because. So, uh, but this is why it's a great question because uh, I don't quite know. Yeah, yeah, great uh, thoughts, Broom Kid. We're going to move on to uh, some questions from patrons on Patreon. As always, we encourage uh, patrons to let us know a little bit where the question is coming from. So we got a good question here from Alden with some thoughts about where this question is coming from. Here we go. Alden Diaz says, hey guys, as I write this, the rise of Skywalker's anniversary is just days away. For you, it might have happened already because that is how time works. That is exactly correct. (laughs) It has already happened. Uh, With that, Alden says, I've been thinking a lot about the redemption of Ben Solo. We, of course, can see and hear in the film how the spirits of Han and Leia reach his heart and help give him the strength for that final momentous choice, but... I wonder what silent role Luke might have played. And I don't mean mystically. I don't subscribe to the theory that Luke had anything to do with summoning Han or projecting his image. But I do wonder if Ben thought about his uncle as he tossed the saber away and ran to find that TIE scout. Uh, He's built that hilt as Luke's Padawan. In a year prior, he swung it right at Luke's projection, fully intending to kill him. So my question is, did he forgive his uncle during those off-screen moments did he reconsider the night at Luke's temple? Perhaps he finally saw it more along the lines of the third Rashomon-style flashback that we, the viewers, saw. You know, the more reasonable one, where Mark Hamill didn't need to look like a crazed serial killer. And ultimately, did Ben Solo die feeling like Luke's apprentice? What do you think? Thanks, guys. Thank you, Alden. Thank you for uh, the great thoughts, as always. Ken, where do you go with this? What, what do you think Ben Solo is feeling about his uncle, Luke Skywalker, after he has returned to the light. Well, here's where I, I here's where I go with it for I think Ben absolutely would make sense that he'd replay a lot of that because I think he's probably been replaying a lot of that uh every day of his life, much like uh, the stuff with his father. I think I see it as Ben having uh, to forgive himself in a way, which does not mean he has to be like it's all right that I uh, had a part in slaughtering those students or this and that, but the a little bit of uh he's so separated from his his father and mother, we, we, we've talked about, you've doc- documented very well, Joseph, just just felt he couldn't go back to lay after what he's, quote, what he's done. And there's, you know, I think there's a lot of truth to what Luke might feel about that situation, the sense of uh, it was my failure, not necessarily all Ben's. So not not to, again, not to say it's all right uh, of the things he did, did Ben, but I go to Ben not necessarily needing to f- f- come at peace with Luke, but just going, it's all right that I, it's all right that I went through that. It's all right that I did that. I've got to move past that. How do I move past that? And, and in, and in doing so perhaps honoring some of the training that Luke was or on, honoring Luke's uh, relation to him and what he may have done for him all through his life. Uh, you know, do I see it as a, 
just uh, yep, I'm gonna throw the way throw the blade away like my uncle did everything. No, I just Ben's got to feel pretty pretty mixed up about his actions in that too as well. Uh, but all but also knowing that hey, not everyone everyone's gonna look at the hero and think he did right and I did wrong and just there's a lot of just uh, self realization and self forgiveness. I think he has to come to terms with. Yeah, I think that's uh, yeah, really great insights and, and giving me some thoughts about how it might how it might feel to be Ben Solo uh, in those in those moments where he has let go of the anger and you know uh, different different ideas must be throwing uh, flowing through him different connection to the Force you know how much does he just feel in the Force uh, a connection to Luke you know, even as Luke exists within the cosmic force of not that Luke's like whispering to him of like, good job, buddy. Go now go here. Like again, not, I don't think the four spirits are YouTube videos, um, but just feeling Luke's presence and, and, and connecting to a time in his life where he was learning the ways of the light side of the force and learning them from his uncle and connecting to some of those feelings that he literally felt then. Um, there's so much that's changed about his, demeanor you know when he's been solo it's one of the great things about rise of skywalker and i I can see in some of that like uh just a a weight there's like a weight off his shoulders right Mm -hmm. um and and for me in in his relationship to luke the things that i go to are um i think that kylo when he returns back to light and becomes ben i think he forgives luke uh, this is my head cannon, but the reasons that I say that are, you know, when you're looking at that, the, some of Luke's scenes in the Last Jedi with Ray, you know, he's he Luke says, I'm paraphrasing that he thought he would be a match for the darkness that he knew was in his nephew that Leia was concerned about, and I think that's where that that hubris, our, our favorite word, <laughs> uh, comes in. That Luke was like, no. I can do this. I can. I, I know that he's going to feel that pull to the darkness. He seems to be wrestling with it. Leia seemed to sense it early on in his in his young life. I can help him with that. And Luke truly did fail to protect him from Sidious. Uh, you know, that's a hard thing to to say about your hero. But uh, you know, I, I to me, Luke is still a hero even if he made some mistakes. And I think that's truly what he's mad at himself about. Is it, it gets crystallized in that moment where he ignites the blade over over Ben. Uh, in the Rashomon style visions um, or, or flashbacks. But I think it, that's truly what it was, is I, I thought I could steer you away from the dark side and I didn't figure out how to do it and Insidious got to you. And I think Luke is sincere on Crate when he's saying, you blame me, so and, and you're partially right, so you're not going to listen to me about coming back to the light side. I'm not here to save your soul, but I do... Uh, apologize you know i did fail you you know so luke has actively apologized Mm -hmm. so i imagine when ben returns to light there is a a sense of forgiveness Mm -hmm. for like i I know you did your best uncle you tried to you tried to help me and you know if i'm gonna forgive myself for my mistakes i need to forgive you too um yeah, and then I, I, to to Alden's point about the the visions in Last Jedi, uh, this is also just pure opinion. I think that last telling from Luke's, I to me that's the truth. The first time we see what Luke is kind of telling himself, mm-hmm. because that's what he feels he needs to hear. The second time, Kylo's version, or it's the the first is Kylo's. Anyway, um, 
uh, yeah, Kylo's and Luke's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, Kylo's vision, I think he actively wants to tell Ray mm-hmm. because that's the vision of the truth that he that Kylo needs to believe in to hold on to his anger. Right? We know he feels the pull to the light. It can't be something where they both made mistakes. Where there, where there's a failure of of communication, a failure of understanding, for Kylo to hold on to his anger and believe everything he has done is correct, it has to be Luke's fault. Mm-hmm. And I think that basically, when he lets go of the anger, he's letting go of that point of view that he described to Ray, mm-hmm. and he's probably allowing himself to see Luke's final description of the way it truly happened. Is you know a, a moment of folly from Luke, just a moment. Mm. but not an actual attack. Yeah. A lot, a lot of what you said taps into this is a, in a boiled down general sense of just, you know, I don't know. Sometimes if you, if, if you need a need to, there comes a point in your life where you see your parents as humans who either did their best or did horrible things and made mistakes. But at some point for you to move forward, you got to let that go for them. And like you said, forgiveness for Luke, uh, and which turns into just kind of acceptance and, and your path, as bad as it can be led you to where you are right now. And there's some accepting of that as well, all of it tied in. And, and uh, why it's such a great question. Um, trying to dive into a moment we don't see on screen. Yeah. Yeah. But, and, and that's, that's the fun of like, we can have certainly have different opinions and different takes. Um, but there are these trails in the individual lines and in the individual moments that we can, we can follow if we want and, and flesh out if we want. And, and I also think, you know, I, I'm trying to really remind myself to respond to the emotions of, you know, a question like this, you, you, uh, I, you, I could write an essay. I'd be happy to write an essay. Yeah. Many of our listeners would happily write essays, have written essays, <laughs> will yeah. write essays. But, there's, but a part of that should always just be like, what does it feel like mm-hmm. when you see the way Ben Solo moves, when you see the way he uses the force? does it feel like he is in a place of, of forgiveness toward Luke? And to me, that's a big yes. That's what it feels like to me. Uh, yeah, I would agree. And father and mother, a lot of forgiveness in the redemption of Ben Solo. That is right. So we're going to move on to our final question from Joshua Thorne. Uh, Joshua says, hashtag speculate responsibly. Uh, is Speculate responsibly time. Is Grogu being set up to eventually have his own movie? It's going to have to be set far into the future so he can actually talk and basically be a younger prequel Yoda 2.0. And this could be Disney's way of sort of ignoring the sequel trilogy and its completely unwarranted dislike from some fans. It could be set so far into the future, maybe 100 plus years, uh, they could use the sequels instead as great callbacks and not a direct tie-in to exactly what is going on so far into the timeline. So uh, some great thoughts there from Josh. There's the big picture thought of, uh, is Grogu uh, going to be starring in his own uh, feature film <laughs> or Disney Plus film? And, you know, a little bit, I think, swimming around in Joshua's question, Joshua's question is the, um, what is going forward? What is, what is kind of Grogu's relationship to Yoda to the sequels to uh, kind of some of the real world perceptions of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, you know the question of what happens to him, and 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 we are not of the mind that we automatically assume Kylo Ren or the Knights of Ren cut him down in the temple. I I, I don't think that at all. But um, it's great stuff. But but exactly what you're saying the the kind of that emotional connection to what came before and and what is Luke going to say to him. What is Luke uh, when he pulls out the history books? I think it's interesting 
storytelling. It's interesting things uh, I wouldn't mind seeing and hearing. I don't believe anything's being set up, Joshua, even though, you know, are speculating responsibly. But, you know, down the line when you start, if this keeps rolling on and you and I are doing Force Center year 35, um, do they, does anyone there go, hey, you know, I want to tell some storytelling. And you know what? Um, that character moved me when I was X amount of years old. And that's the story I want to know. Uh, that, that could be realistic to me as well. There's a hundred plus years type of thing. It's like that, that, that'd be an interesting connection that, that would work. But I, I just don't think, I don't see it being built or set up, but it could, uh, it could be in, in, in someone's mind. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think this is a very always in motion is the future uh, kind of, kind of question. And I feel like a lot of the storytelling right now, yeah, for, for some things in Mandalorian season two, like Ahsoka and, uh, and mentioning Grand Admiral Thrawn, definitely some chess pieces are being uh, moved into place for series yeah. that are about to happen. But I think there's also just a lot of storytelling of just like, let's invent worlds, let's invent characters, let's invent ideas, and maybe someday down the line, something more will blossom from them. And I feel like that's a little bit more where Grogu is at. Mm-hmm. Um, I There's a part of me that feels like if The Mandalorian does have two more seasons in it, that it will come back around to Grogu, yeah. even if it is just a din checking in and and seeing who his child is becoming, you know, the, you know, the promise to see him again feels like something that we'll see on screen. So I kind of think that we will see Grogu again, even if it doesn't ever become the uh, Mando and the child show again. Uh, I think we're going to see Grogu again. And I so, I so agree with you. I think it is a generational thing. You know, we spent the good chunk of time at the top of the podcast talking about uh, Rodriguez is connecting to his childhood love of Boba Fett and who who you know who is he really when he's uh, unleashed uh and it it excites me to think of 20 years from now somebody whose first star wars with mandalorian is like i always wondered what grogu would be like when he grew up uh, i'm kind of excited for that person to tell the story absolutely and force center will be there to cover it <laughs> <laughs> yes we won't even need podcasting equipment it'll just be in our brains can yes microphones in our brains. Uh, the other thing just to touch very briefly on here from Joshua's question is, uh, I think, you know, Joshua is, uh, I think, reflecting a reality that there's still a ton of vocal people who really, really dislike the sequel trilogy or even people who I think are, are more casual Star Wars fans who, who when they express their love for Mandalorian, also want to include, and it's better than the sequel trilogy. So yeah. it, it, it's a weird, tense time uh, for the sequel trilogy. Uh, I think Joshua is reflecting that very honestly. Uh, mm-hmm. But I also just really feel like I think five years from now, 10 years from now, the amount of controversy and battles and back and forth of the sequels will just so be a thing of the past. You know, time time changes, time cools opinions. And also the people who were five in 2015 who grew up with Ray and Finn and Poe as their Star Wars you know, they'll be stepping into their own and they'll be a big part of the conversation. And I think things will change. It's like we've been there before. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. Uh, So great questions. Yeah. Thank you, Joshua, Alden, Broomkid, and Tim. Always great questions from our listeners. 
Absolutely. As Joseph said, you can find a pinned tweet on our Twitter feed and you can go submit a question there. Or if you're on Patreon, that's where you take a lot of questions as well. And here's where you can find that stuff on Twitter at Force Center Pod. We are on Instagram, YouTube as well. Facebook page is Force Center Podcast. Podcast available on Anchor, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and more. Merch, if you want to get the Speculate Responsibly t-shirt designed by the great Brian Ward, that is at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. You can support us directly at patreon.com slash force center as well, or just tell a friend about force center. We appreciate that as well. You can follow me at catnapsock or go to catnapsock.com for information and all the things I'm doing, including very soon, the good people association, bringing the entertainment to the good people of the world, a production company, digital brand. I'm uh, working on with some pals, Josh McCooka, Mark Riley, Eric Bass from shine down and more. So stay tuned for more announcements about what is coming there. Joseph. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Joseph Scrimshaw. And you can check out my website, josephscrimshaw.com, for my other podcast, Obsessed, and for old comedy albums and all sorts of stuff. Uh, hopefully, I'll be doing uh, some more online shows. And when I do, they will be on my website at josephscrimshaw.com. Absolutely. So, for the High Republic era and Charhounds, oh, I can't wait till you all read about the Charhounds. We'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.